This is the Blue Bomber Podcast with CFL Hall of Famer and my broadcast partner, Doug Brown. It's like a head-on car accident there. Had to piggyback him, grab onto his waist as he pulled him, kind of like a tractor pull there for a couple yards. You can play it safe. You don't have to take these risks and just nickel and dime your way down the field. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast in iTunes or at CJOB.com. Here it is. It's the Bomber Podcast. Another Blue Bomber victory on the last play of the game. Doug Brown, Greg Mackling with you. And Doug, that's three games now where the Blue Bombers have cinched a victory on the very last play of the game. And you can count it four games where the game was decided on the final play of the game. In your column in the Winnipeg Free Press, you're talking about how these bite-sized pieces, these Mount Everest-type achievements can add up over time. You know, I think that's just it. If you look at what they did against Montreal. So we're talking 12 points in 95 seconds, okay? I think if you give any football team in professional football 100 opportunities to do that, in that scenario, you inject them into that scenario, you might get one out of 100. Any football team, I think you might actually execute a touchdown, an onside kick, and another touchdown in 95 seconds, okay? You figure that's a once in 100 occasion. I I, I would, yeah, I would say that for sure. I don't know, you you, you bend your mind on that for, for now. But So when you accomplish something like that, it's a difference between, you know, in the fourth quarter, so often they're visiting teams and you see them all put their four fingers up and, and, and coaches have these little rallies and we all hold hands in the fourth quarter. Or they have these cheesy little things things that they do to impact upon you the significance of the fourth quarter. So the guys put up four fingers, they hold hands, or they all go, yay, fourth quarter kind of, but it's all empty unless you've actually done something. So now you got this group where they know in the fourth quarter they've done something that not a lot of teams could do given 100 opportunities to do that. 95 seconds, 12 points, who can pull that off? They know that they can. In that locker room, that team, they now have that belief. Justin Medlock said, 99% of the game is mental, and the other 1% is mental as well. I love that quote. But it goes to show you, if you believe something, if you have this idea in your head now, it's not hollow anymore. Those words you say to inspire your fourth quarter heroics are no longer, you actually have a real life occurrence, and now this team believes, hey, we're money when the game is on the line in the fourth quarter. And I think that so translates into what we saw in Ottawa against Ottawa. 100% do I think that carries over. And that could be something, you know, that's why we asked Michael Shea about it after the Montreal game. We're like, is this an emotional rallying point for your mm-hmm. football team? Are they going to turn the page now and just become, you know, beasts? Because they have this demonstrated ability now that they are closers no matter what. What else happens? And I think uh, that was a big part of what we saw against the Ottawa Red Blacks. If visualization is a big part of sports, actualization has to be gigantic. Yeah, it's going from we can do this to, hey, we did this, you know, let's do it again kind of thing. There's the film. We're watching it right now. That's us. 
Rick Campbell's bizarre decision to have him kick off after the field goal Medlock made to give the Bombers uh, a chance at the game. 30-26. to 26. Medlock kicks the, the single point to put the Blue Bombers into a field goal situation where it's now a field goal game. You said in your column here, good teams try to practice every conceivable scenario that may unfold on the field of play. I want to give a shout out to the Blue Bombers for looking at all the different conceivable ways a game could go out and compare it and contrast it to Rick Campbell having what I can only call a brain fart and really not calculating the likelihood of Justin Medlock. It was almost guaranteed in that scenario that Medlock was putting that ball in the end zone and you're going to have to have your returner decide whether or not to bring it out from 15 yards deep or concede the point. Why would you do that? to one of your own players. Yeah, you know, it just goes to show you it's a good example of the stresses of a football game when you sit back and look at it when you're not on field level and you just have a clear mind about it and you're not affected by what's going on. Things that seem so obvious to us then you're down there on the sideline and there's stress and there's pressure and time is escaping and it's just to make a judgment call like that where you have to really assert yourself it, things just get away from guys right and and the best coaches out out there I think you, you look at a guy like like Belichick he's unflappable right like these things don't affect him whatsoever he doesn't show emotion he doesn't show he doesn't get caught up in the ebb and flow and the roller coaster of a football game and that's obviously that was something that affected Campbell. Yeah and obviously you look at a situation where you've got a returner that can if you put the ball in his hands he can do just about anything on any given time but that to me that's the difference of the coaching and how things played out on Friday night in Ottawa. Let's talk a little bit about uh, the Blue Bombers now heading into Hamilton Saturday. If as we were discussing last week, 1-4-1 and one Ottawa was a trap game. <laughs> what the heck is this game on Saturday? You've got a team that hasn't won yet, and you've got Blue Bomber fans that are a little on edge, and they're looking at each other, and they're going, we can't possibly lose to Hamilton because this is a team that is due for a win. I don't care how crappy they are. Hamilton is not a place that the Blue Bombers traditionally have played well. I know we're throwing that all out the window, but you have to put it in the back of your mind. And Doug, maybe the biggest thing is the fact that the Blue Bomber fans don't trust that this team is quite there yet. And so there's going to be that wonder can they be the team that hands Hamilton their first victory? No, I think it just takes a lot of maturity in order, in terms of your preparation, to take your record and see your opponents and have the same diligence and the same level of preparation and intensity throughout your week when you're doing well and you're winning and everything is telling you that your opponent that you're that is upcoming is is struggling and and they're not very good and all their stats are, are beneath you for the most part it makes it very difficult it takes good maturity on a football team to recognize hey it's still very very hard in professional football to win a game no matter who you're playing Norv Turner told uh, the team once that in Washington he's like never kid yourself it is incredibly hard to win a professional football game doesn't matter who you're playing out there there. Granted, when you play Cleveland, it seems easier than it does other opponents, but never has anything true or been spoken. Coaches realize this. It's all about whether they can, can convey that message to their players effectively or not. Whether you can make the 
uh, environment as uncomfortable for your four and two players as it's going to be in Hamilton for the guys that are 0 and 5 looking over their shoulders trying to do everything perfectly now maximize you know their potential in terms of their workouts and their film study and their their execution on the field they're trying to maximize those things right now to get out of that hole that they've dug themselves Whereas you're cruising along at four and two and you're well situated and positioned well, do you have that same hunger? That's going to be a real test, I think, of this football team's maturity going out to Hamilton, whether they can practice like they have a chip on their shoulder and still have something to prove, even though a third of the way through this football season, they're set to even improve on where they were last year. Is it imperative or will it be a strategy of Mike O'Shea to remind his team that they are a handful of plays, less than a handful of plays, for yeah. being a one in five football team themselves. Yeah, you know, if if I'm Mike Crochet too, I don't think I want to take away. I would want to really fan that flame of hey. I love how no matter how we've played in the first three quarters, we are able to switch gears and get it done in the fourth. I, I wouldn't want to cast a seed of doubt there, but I would want to say you know, to these guys, hey, life is great right now, but guess how it's going to be coming back if we are the first team that Hamilton at 0-5 beats. You think you have some accolades and some positivity and, and some people singing your praises right now? You do not want to be the first team that they beat up on This or, is part of the win. conversation this week? Uh, well, you, you never know. You know, it's always a judgment on the type of players he has in the room and the type of coach that he is, right? So I don't think he's a guy that talks records, you know, but I would ex- I would very much not be surprised if he didn't stress to these guys, hey, they're a wounded animal here. Do not kid yourself thinking we can just go rolling into there and run a parade down Main Street in Hamilton and and just get out of there. He's like, we're going to have to fight, kick, scratch, and claw. I think that's probably what he's going to... I would really be surprised if he was like, hey, don't be the team that breaks the goose egg. But I would would very much suspect he's like, don't kid yourself about this game. And whether he can get, convey that point and get through to them or not, well, I think will be a good indication of whether they'll be successful or not. When I ask this question, I'm very glad there's a desk between us. But take us back to the dressing room in the 2001 Grey Cup. Eight and ten... Calgary coming in against the 14-4 and four Bombers. Was there any conversation about cautioning against the things we were just discussing? Like, what, 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 was the, what was the point of conversation leading up into that game? Is it, is it the idea that we are the 14-4 and four team, or was there some cautionary notes? Yeah, it's interesting. It's, that was a very, very long time ago. That was 16 years ago right now, and I'm trying to remember. I mean, Dave Ritchie, he was a chip-on-your-shoulder kind of guy. He was, I mean, we were in the middle of a 12-game winning streak, and he was like, nobody thinks you're any good, and, and don't read the headlines, and they still don't respect you. He just had a way. He couldn't. You couldn't do enough for him for him to be satisfied and or happy with your football season. So therefore, the players that played for him, we were never happy or satisfied with what we were doing. We always had a chip on our shoulder. We always felt we had something else to prove, and uh, that was really the Dave Ritchie. So uh, he never would have. I mean, all the headlines were after the fact. People are trying to explain and rationalize how fourteen and fourteen lost to this other one. I was just a team that got hot at the right time. They caught some breaks in the game. You know, we didn't do anything different. We're in like. Oh, I'm not even going to look at my playbook because we're playing Calgary in the championship game. You know, you're professionals. That does not happen. So I think there were excuses made and rationalizations made after that upset that no one, including ourselves, expected. But they got on a run. It's the same with uh, Ottawa 
not having a winning record last year and winning the Grey Cup, right? I mean, it just happens. Teams get streaky. They start believing in themselves and they get lucky, right? You get to roll the dice. Things happen for you. Block punt here, you know, a broken coverage there. All of a sudden you're in a hole. And I think what they did very successfully, Calgary, that we hadn't seen a lot, we got behind early in that game. Right. And we were not used to, we were front runners, right? We right. we knew how to play with the lead, take it away. We were used to playing catch up at all. That's the one thing I remember from that game. So that and the kicking problem we had. We'll take a break. More of the Bomber podcast when we come back. Whether Bomber fans call or text, Bob Irving makes sure your questions get answers from Mike O'Shea. It's your chance to stay connected to the blue and gold. The Payworks Bombers Coaches Show with Mike O'Shea and Bob Irving, Monday at 7 on CJOB. Hey, hey, thanks for tuning in to the Blue Bomber Podcast. You know we love to thank you with a pair of tickets to an upcoming Blue Bomber game. You can only win them one way, and that's to text the keyword, the secret word on the Blue Bomber Podcast to 204-780-6868. Today's key slash secret word is Medlock, as in Justin Medlock. Our featured guest on the Blue Bomber Podcast today text 204-780-6868 to win tickets to an upcoming Blue Bomber game, courtesy the Blue Bomber podcast. That word today is Medlock. Welcome back to the Blue Bomber podcast with Doug Brown. Let's get back to the action. Doug Brown, Justin Medlock joins us on the Blue Bomber podcast. Justin, most kickers are reformed soccer. Well, actually, let me rephrase that: evolved soccer players. What was was that your sport of choice? Is that how you got into kicking, or was there something else you excelled at? I've seen you play golf, so I know you're yeah. highly skilled at that. But what was your your lead up into uh, into kicking? Uh, yeah, it was soccer. I was a soccer player, you know, growing up when I was little, and just decided to. Um, kick some football that you know I saw it on TV and I was like well maybe I can get a scholarship through this and kind of went that that way what position were you and what what level was the highest level you uh, attained in soccer uh I was you know the city select team or whatever that you know um but I was a center forward and a center midfield um did that all the way up to about junior year in um college uh, junior year in high school Okay, and that, at that point, you, you figured you had a better opportunity for a scholarship with uh, football as opposed to the sport you were in? Yeah, I was. Uh, I got pretty good at it, um, kicking-wise, and um, just kind of went that direction, yeah. I've always wondered what, you know, for each guy, it's, it's specific and different. The strength, the power you get, obviously you need to have a strong leg, um, is it explosion work? Do you do plyometrics? Are you just are you a stretch guy? Do you squat heavy? Do you do Olympic lifts? What do you do yeah. to get to develop that power in your leg? Because uh, we see kickers, you know, around on the football team, and you don't always say, oh, you know, that guy must be able to squat six hundred pounds because they can actually yeah. for the most part. And uh, and or what are they doing? What do you do when you get that explosive power in your leg? Uh, well, obviously, uh, I think everybody's build um, is a little bit differently, right? So, yeah. you know, for punters, uh, it's more of like flexibility, being long. So you're kind of in kicking. It's um, you know, I'd say the ideal height for a kicker would probably be about six one, six foot. You know, more. You know, that's usually. And then um, being strong, like uh, training more like a, a sprinter, right? Would be um, would be the training wise, but okay. also. Uh, flexibility is 
a huge thing. But I would say as a punter, it's not, you're not trying to get like the strongest build, right? So, yeah. Um, yeah. So that kind of, you know, when you're doing both, trying to kick and punt, it's always difficult um, trying to find that, that right balance, right? Because, um, but I would say flexibility is probably a big thing and trying to at least keep both in both of those, uh, departments, uh, strong. So what's your, what's your, during the season, what's your meat and potatoes lift? What is your, your, the, your basic that you will not miss doing or your activity that you will not miss doing during the course of the week? Like we all have our, our routines and I like to have, I had to make sure I had a bench day, a squat day, and I like to jump a yeah. lot of rope during the week, do some core stuff, make sure. And, and once I had yeah. that that checklist done, then I was ready to play. What was it for you? Yeah, I would say hamstring, glute stuff are always on the table whenever I'm doing uh, leg days, but those are usually right after a game. Um, core always. Um, and then from there, I just try to do like a push and a pull day. So that would be push would be like, you know, bench, shoulders, stuff like that. And then um, a pull would be just back and, you know, maybe some kind of power clean maybe. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I definitely – it's glute and hamstrings are probably my biggest thing for uh, – but, you know, I will say the one thing that kind of messes with me is lifting-wise – I, I kind of go back and forth with lifting heavy yeah. on the upper body and then messing my golf swing up. So <laughs> I definitely go through that back and forth all the time. Uh, does that translate at all for you, though? Lifting heavy, is that is that something just in case you actually have to tackle somebody in a game? Is that what that's there for? Does that translate in terms uh, of your, your punting and kicking? Oh, no, 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 no. That would just be for all... Just for but, show, right? You know, just yeah. trying to get rid of the dad bod, you know? Yeah, you got to fit in your T-shirts better that way, right? <laughs> yeah, right. That's fantastic. And uh, I also want to say pregame stuff, like like meals. Do you have something, uh, a certain prescription of food you have to devour on game day or the night before? How superstitious are you? How much of a routine do you have? I wouldn't say I'm superstitious, but definitely a routine-wise, yes. Uh, I'll try to have a big breakfast in the morning, and then I really don't. I'll probably get, like, some kind of, like, six-inch sub at, you know, Subway or something like that. Something along that, like, half, you know, eating right before a game. Um, I don't like to be, like, too full, you know, like you're just, like, super heavy and slow, so... Um, for the game, but uh, but for a morning, I'll I'll definitely have a big breakfast, maybe a little bit more than most people will. If you could clear it with the head coach, would you have a fidget spinner on the sideline? In between, you know, I mean, you're pretty busy because you're a double duty guy out there. Okay, you got. I'm just saying, a lot of times, I'm always wondering. I'm like, what is that guy thinking about? What is what is he doing right now? You know, how do you stay engaged in the game during your lulls? Oh, man. I actually was trying to tell myself this week to just kind of have fun and talk to some people on the sideline because I'm usually never talking to anybody. So I just feel like football is such a meathead sport that everybody's so angry and out there and that I just don't want to deal with the negativity that I'm just like, I just want to be in my own world. But there were a couple of guys out there I kind of talked to. Like I had a little small conversation with Clarence Denmark this week. You know, he's a positive guy, right? So, um you know, a couple of guys come like, you know, I can have a conversation with Dressler and stuff. But yeah, Guys yeah. that are, are, are upbeat and enjoy and have fun doing what they do yeah. out there, right? Yeah, not the defense. The defensive guys are all the meatheads. They're trying to 
beat somebody's head into the ground. You're not trying to have that conversation. Maybe Jake Thomas. He's a nice guy. So what's the optimal <laughs> mental preparation must be a huge part of your game, though. Obviously, everything you do, you know, you have your processes down. It's just being in the right headspace in order to accomplish what you do. Is there a visualization? Or you just, you just try to clear your mind? Or you just try to be in a, an upbeat, positive mood when you're going out to kick footballs? What, what do you concern yourself with? No, it's definitely something you work towards. I think I've gotten better over the years of uh, trying to execute under pressure compared to when I was younger. Um, you know, you try different things. Like when I was younger, I tried to be calm and, you know, be all relaxed. And that didn't really work for me. More of try to be like, hey, I'm going to hit this thing right down the middle. Let's go. You know, kind of one of those kind of things that's worked for me more. Um but, you know, I'm always playing scenarios in my head, you know, like last game, for example, you know, we were down by seven. So, you know, we kicked the field goal and we came back on. And I was like, all right, let's try to kick the single here because that will make it a one score game. And, and then let's try to make the field goal. But I'm always trying to play scenarios like right before half. I'll be like, oh, there's 20 seconds left. They have the ball or like a minute left. They have the ball. They're going to punt. Then we're going to kick a field goal right before half, you know. So I'm always playing these things in my head. But at the end of the day, um, I mean, yeah, I just I try to have a mentality of like, hey, I want to hit this thing right down the dead middle. Like, let's go, you know, kind of those kind of uh, mentality. So, hey, Justin, for me. Justin, I got to jump in here and take us back to to Friday night because you mentioned it. The whole idea of hey, let's get the single here. Were you surprised that Ottawa had you kick off following that field goal that made it thirty? To 26. Clearly, the Bombers wanted a touchdown in that scenario. The field goal was second choice, but it was still a touchdown score game for Rick Campbell and the Red Blacks to have you kick off when you'd already kicked a single. To me, was the most bizarre coaching decision of the entire game. Um, I actually had said something to somebody afterwards, thinking to myself, why would they have me kick off? It's like, like a challenge. They were daring you. Yeah. I, I just thought with that kind of wind, it was just not one of those ones that you're like, hey, if you guys, they field the ball and bring it back, unless, yeah, it just didn't hit it great, you know, they're still going to get pinned inside the 30. You just get the ball. You just take the ball. You're at 35, right? <laughs> I mean, but you know, that does wear down that. I don't know. Maybe it wears down the clock. I'm not into the coaching business and, to us, it's it's just it's confirmation, Justin, as to why they are now one five and one. Yeah, I guess so. Decisions like that. Hey, your efficiency is legendary, Justin. Do you measure that stuff out a kick at a time, a game at a time, or do you examine that stuff at all? Do you just uh, go out there and uh, have the mentality of making every single kick as you were outlining with us a couple of minutes ago? Yeah, no, I try to just go out, new game, new fresh start. Um and just try to get better from there. You know, obviously, you know, people talk about the makes. It's more of the misses that you you remember, you know. So I remember a lot of kicks, but you know, it's always the misses that kind of get um, that get to you. But at the same time, they're they're good teaching tools of like, hey, why did this happen in this situation? Um, and maybe it was something mentally because I I am I'm a big believer that 99% of the game is mental. The other one percent is mental because <laughs> you're all you're, you're everybody else is uh i mean we're all talented enough to do this right so at this point it's just like who's going to be better mentally right so well, greg mackling um, isn't but the rest of us yes yeah. um my last question for you justin medlock the last kick you were nervous about um yeah, honestly usually 
I get more nervous about kicks that are like the first game of the season because you you feel a little out of sync because you haven't done it all season like off season and um, so July yeah okay. yeah yeah I would say the fast game um, most probably I'd say probably the overtime kick when I went in there for the first overtime. Um, they called timeout or something, challenge play or something. Something happened. It was slowly there, and then the crowd was kind of getting loud. And it's the first game of the season. You're a little, you know, but, you know, we drilled it right down the middle, so it's, it's fine. The tweet of the night was about Ottawa trying to ice you on that final play of the game. You can't ice ice. That was uh, my favorite tweet of the game as it pertained to you, Justin. But I have to take you back real quick before I let you go to that short kickoff against Montreal. You've referenced golf twice. Well, Doug has once and you have once. Did your proficiency for golf help in any way on that short kickoff? The chip shot. Um... I don't know. No, not really. I just, uh, yeah, not really. Um, When's the golf, last time uh, you yeah. made a short kickoff, Justin? Uh, shoot, I've only had a couple of times, but this is, uh, I mean, from, from Winnipeg, that was the first time I've ever done the short short one. But, I mean, you got to credit especially his coach and Michael Shea. They drew up that play and just had to work on it. I've uh, been doing it for two years now. So, um, you know, I'm glad we could uh, come through and help the team. Hey, Justin, great to get to know you a little bit more. Appreciate the time. Yeah, no, thank you. Thanks, Justin. All right, thank you. No matter what side of the political spectrum you sit on, keep your eyes open, keep your ears open, and more importantly than anything else, keep your mind open. The Shadow Davis Show, weekdays 6 to 10. Hey, hey, thanks for tuning in to the Blue Bomber Podcast. You know we love to thank you with a pair of tickets to an upcoming Blue Bomber game. You can only win them one way, and that's to text the keyword, the secret word on the Blue Bomber Podcast to 204-780-6868. Today's key slash secret word is Medlock, as in Justin Medlock, our featured guest on the Blue Bomber Podcast today. Text 204-780-6868 to win tickets to an upcoming Blue Bomber game, courtesy the Blue Bomber Podcast. That word today is Medlock. Everything you need to know about your Winnipeg Blue Bombers brought to you by a CFL Hall of Fame player. The Blue Bomber Podcast with Doug Brown. Subscribe now in iTunes. Hey, it's the Blue Bomber Podcast. Craig Mackling, Doug Brown with you. Uh, you know, the Calgary Stampeders, we were talking about uh, the 01 uh, Grey Cup. Henry Burris was obviously a big part of that franchise for a long time. Big part of the Ottawa Red Blacks and their success in the Grey Cup last year. A game that a lot of people, for all intents and purposes, thought he may not even start a half an hour before kickoff. Doug, how important was Henry Burris in the success of the Ottawa Red Blacks last year? Just ask him. (laughs) (laughs) Let me explain to you how much I love when players that have recently left a team and that team struggles and then they they interject and they talk about how they obviously miss them. Uh, There's nothing I enjoy more than Henry Burris tweeting about how Ottawa 
obviously misses his leadership qualities, as well as many other players, but don't kid yourself, he's in that pool as well. I love that. That makes me happy. Um, but, you know, and it makes me happy because for the most part, it's, it's true, right? Some guys wouldn't wouldn't say that, but, you know, Trevor Harris was a different quarterback when Henry Burst was there and they were competing for a job and and he had to emulate all these things and, and Burst was there and he's an accomplished guy. He's been there, done that, you know, every award, every scenario, been in there. And all of a sudden, you know, your your big brother or your backup, you know, your your fail-safe plan, no longer there anymore. The buck stops with you. Nobody else is pressing on you. Everything starts and finishes with your performance now. And I think you're seeing some of the holes in Trevor Harris's game, not necessarily his game offensively, but game off the field. The game in terms of how the other players respond to him, his leadership ability, uh, whether they, you know, they believe in, in what he's selling them in the huddle, so on and so forth. So he's played very well, but you know, I think as an athlete, he, he needs to develop and mature more and get that conviction about finishing because they're just a football team that appears to know, hey, we're going to be in this down the stretch, but we just have no idea how we're going to pull this out. Hey, uh, Doug, a lot of questions coming into this season as it pertained to Sam Hurl. Was he going to be good enough to be the middle linebacker of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers? Uh, Talk about him and talk about his comments about the overall defense because you have to hand it to the Bomber defense. They don't win that game without a couple of key stops down the stretch. Yeah, they needed to get the ball back to their offense in a hurry frequently and... and, uh I believe it was three times in a row in that fourth quarter they were able to get stops and, and get the ball back and uh, enable Justin Medlock, our, our feature tonight, to win that football game essentially for them with those possessions they were able to get back. And they were able to shift gears, right? They were giving up. They still gave up 30 points in that game. But once again, when it got critical, and you know that's a column I actually might, as a side note, right down the road is this team has a number of millennials on it, right? Guys that were born in the 90s. And what do you know, what's stereotypical about millennials is like attention span and and have a hard time, you know, engaging and fidget spinners, so on and so forth, right? So you almost think this team is so good in the fourth because there's not enough... Not enough, on the, not enough on the line in the first three quarters? There's not enough stimulus. It's it's like a Kardashian show. You know, you, you, you need philosophy. enough. I'm just saying, all of a sudden it gets their attention. Hey, we're down. This is our objective. It's short term now. You know, it's not a whole game. We have a limited window, a limited attention span. We just need to dial in for those last five minutes, get this handled, and we are out of here. But uh, the interesting thing for me about, about Sam Hurl and his comments after the game, though, that was interesting um, – was just how the mentality of defense had now that this challenge has been removed. Now that they know there's only one challenge for teams anymore. And he said to Bob Irving and myself on the air, he's like, yeah, guys felt like, hey, we can play football again now. We can do what we do without having to worry about a, a, a slowdown, a frame-by-frame analysis and, and exploration of what we were doing out on the football field. And it was just, you know, you were like, you could tell he was excited. And the guys on the football team were excited. And I think this secondary, though they've had obviously their problems this year in, in terms of yardage and points surrendered, but I think they're very athletic, you know. And if you let them, and I think they're physical too, right? And now if you're bringing back that element where they can spar with guys and hand fight with guys and not have to worry and get away with stuff because it's happening at games, a little jersey tug here, a little hand bar and trap there. 
you can get away with that now. Referees can't see that. It's so fast out there. I think this rule change in the middle of the season is like a sign from the heavens for this defense and this secondary. I think it's going to help them exponentially going forward. And I think we saw a little bit that first taste that there was the best game they'd played in terms of yardage allowed, surrendered, so on and so forth. Points not so great still, but other things they're starting to improve on. And I think uh, I think they can build off that. And I think they have the right type of personnel where, hey, if you allow them to get away with stuff, they're going to, and that's going to benefit their performance tremendously. You're talking about the uh, rule change that was implemented midweek, and you and I were talking about that extensively last week on the podcast about how much time it's actually taking to execute these challenges, how many challenges are involved, the momentum that's lost, and the fact that they were getting calls wrong even when they're going to the video. It was just under two hours to play the first three quarters of the game on Friday night, Winnipeg and Ottawa, just under 30 minutes for the first quarter in real time, and they actually completed a game in under three hours. This has got to be good not only for the players, their attention span, their engagement, but it's great for the fans as well. I think this is a kudos to the CFL for taking the action that they did to change this rule midseason. You know, there's an interesting study that came out too that uh, home teams and, and referees officiating in a home barn like they want to be liked there's that psychological element and there was a study released about how referees are more likely to make calls that go hand in hand with your home crowd and stadium and all this and and i think you know kind of that's kind of what you need you know, you need your home teams to win because you, you want the local fans to come out there. So even if it's just a slight edge to reduce that, you get better flow, you get shorter games, you get better engagement from everybody. And maybe there's a small percentage of home teams winning more games just because those officials are human and it's human nature to want uh, the uh, uh, approval and praise from your peers. And, you know, nothing is contrary, runs contrary to that than 30,000 people telling you you suck at your job and booing you out of there, right? So even if all these kind of things just swing, you put them all together, swing the needle a little bit, maybe you get uh, teams with better records at home and more fans. I think it's a win-win-win across the board, uh, everything that's going on right now in the CFL. Any chance the Winnipeg Blue Bombers come home 4-3 and three from Hamilton? <laughs> well, there's always a chance. Like I say, this football team does things... Uh, uh, upside down and inside out backwards not you know they have a a way of going about their things in a very unexpected and inconsistent erratic manner sometimes but that's what also makes them fun to watch right you just don't know what you have a script for how you think things are going to play out and often you just rip that up by the time half the first quarter is over because they've gone off script so uh, that's what makes them uh, exciting to watch and you just never know especially with this group you know their identity it's all over the place right now you have an idea of who you think they are and what they want to be but they don't always show up that way you know they come to the party in a different outfit and they wear something different by the time the the game's over so if Doug Brown is not prepared to go out and emphatically say that the Blue Bombers will not lose this Saturday in Hamilton, I will follow suit. Who knows what's going to happen? We'll break it down next week on the next Blue Bomber podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for downloading. And hey, by all means, please share so you can let people know that there's only one place to go for all your inside Bomber information. It's right here on the Blue Bomber podcast. For Doug Brown, I'm Greg Macklin. 
The Blue Bomber Podcast with Doug Brown. That is, wow, that's fantastic. I like that. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast in iTunes or at cjob.com.